Grace be to you and peace from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. As we consider the words of God through Paul to the Corinthians, we pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Unity, reconciliation, those were words we heard pretty often this week as our nation went through a peaceful transition of power. Since we have never experienced a forceful takeover or a coup, it's hard for us to truly appreciate what a blessing that is. Yet at the same time, those who are calling for peace and reconciliation don't seem to truly understand what it takes to have true peace and reconciliation. The Apostle Paul is going to present that to us this morning. The first and greatest problem we have is not a lack of friendship, a lack of unity among each other. The greatest problem that we have is that all of us are born into this world as enemies of God. We are born in Adam's sinful image. By nature, we're completely opposed to God, opposed to anything he wants and anything that he says. We're born into this world spiritually dead. Unless that changes, unless we have a spiritual birth, our physical death is going to send us off to eternal death, eternal separation from God forever. Any other problem that we face in this world pales in comparison to this. Every human being is born into this world as an enemy of God. How do we solve that problem? We don't. We don't even want to. We don't even care if we're enemies of God. We don't want to be reconciled to God, and since we're spiritually dead, by nature, there isn't anything we could do, even if we wanted to, to be reconciled to God. God is the one that has to reconcile us to himself. How did he do that? How did God go about making people who were by nature his enemies, who didn't care about him, didn't want anything to do with him, how did he make us into people who were his very own, people who were his friends, people who were eager to do everything that he wants us to do. Paul makes it very clear. God was reconciling us to himself in Christ. He sent his son, Jesus, into the world. Jesus took on flesh and blood. He put himself into our shoes. He experienced joy and sadness. He experienced pain and pleasure. He was tempted in ways that we can't even imagine. And yet, unlike us, he remained without sin. He didn't even respond with angry words when he was unjustly beaten and spit upon and crucified and condemned. Then, God made him, Paul says, who did not know sin to become sin for us. He reminds us on the cross all died. He died for all and therefore all died. Everyone who was born into sin, except Jesus, deserved what Jesus got. 
but because Jesus got what we deserved. We don't have to get it. He got the punishment instead of us. He suffered on the cross in our place. Paul makes that same point that when Jesus died, all died. When he reminds us of our baptism, he says we were united with Jesus in our baptism in his death. I like the following example because sometimes people say, if you're talking to them, you know, you're thinking about doing something wrong, they might say, well, better not, better watch out, or God's going to strike you down with a bolt of lightning. That's what we all deserve, right? We all deserve that lightning bolt of God to strike us down and send us straight off to eternal punishment in hell. And if God is the one who's aiming that lightning bolt, there's nothing you can do about it. You can't escape. You can't run. You can't hide. And he's not going to miss. But Jesus, when he went to the cross, stepped between us and all those lightning bolts of God's wrath that were aimed right at us. He absorbed them all. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. When he was forsaken and died, we were forsaken and died. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. In Jesus, we have become the righteousness of God. Instead of counting our sins against us, putting them on our account that we would have to pay, he transferred them to Jesus' account and made him pay for all of our sins. Jesus is the one who has reconciled us to God. In Jesus, God doesn't see us as sinners who deserve his punishment. He sees us as righteous, as righteous as Jesus is righteous. So that's what God has done for us in Christ. But there's still a problem. Again, by nature, we don't care. By nature, we still don't want anything to do with God. We don't want to be his friend. We don't want to be reconciled to him. That's where the Holy Spirit comes in. By God's grace, someone reached out to you and to me with a message of reconciliation. For most of us here this morning, it was probably parents or grandparents. But for others, maybe it was a friend or a neighbor or a teacher or a co-worker. Or maybe it was some stranger who just knocked on their door and wanted to proclaim to them, be reconciled to God. In one way or another, God caused us to hear about what he's done for us in Jesus. And the Holy Spirit used that message to move us to say, wow, that's what I needed to hear. I've always had this feeling that there's something wrong. I've always had this feeling that I, no matter what I did, no matter how much I did, I could never do enough. In fact, I was angry and I hated God because it sounded like he was requiring me more than I could do. But now I see that he's done it for me. He's not only paid for my sins, but he's given me the righteousness that I need to live with him forever. When the Holy Spirit opens our eyes and to see, helps us see who God really is and what he's really done for us, 
The Bible says we're born again. We're born from above, or Paul says we are a new creation. The love of Christ now compels us because we realize how much he loved us, even when we were his enemies. As a result, we no longer live for ourselves, Paul says, following the selfish, sinful nature that we were born with. Instead, we strive to live for him who died in our place and was raised again. What a change God accomplishes in us. By removing our sin and our unrighteousness, those things that were a barrier that kept us from being with him, from being his friend, from being reconciled to him, he removed those things to reconcile us to himself. He enables us to see him as the God of love who has no pleasure in giving us the punishment that we deserve, but instead wants to have us saved, wants us to be with him forever, to give us the heaven we don't deserve. Now we don't want to miss what Paul says about how this change not only affects our relationship with God, but also affects our relationship with our neighbor. He says, as a result, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. We don't judge them by outward appearance. Doesn't matter what color they are, or what nationality they are, or what culture they came from, or what language they speak. None of those fleshly outward things mean anything. Because we understand that every human being is a descendant of Adam. And every human being was born dead in sin. And every human being is someone for whom Jesus, the second Adam, lived and died. God our Savior has proven in Jesus that he wants all to be saved. So all the talk about race and culture and some groups of people may be lower or higher on the evolutionary scale, that's all fiction. It's what the devil is using to divide us, to make us look at each other according to the flesh. Yes, sinful human beings have prejudices. Jonah did. And yes, sinful human beings have done terrible things to each other. Everyone is a sinful descendant of Adam and Eve. No one is better or worse than anyone else in God's eyes. All have sinned and deserve his punishment. When Jesus came into the world, he took on every sin of every person, whoever has or ever will live, every sin that ever has been committed or will be committed. He paid for them all. We look, now we look at everyone as our equal. Equally a sinner, equally saved by Jesus. That's where true unity and reconciliation has to come from. No law, no amount of reparations, no other thing that might exist will bring about true reconciliation or true unity. So what can we do about that? We live in a world where people don't want to hear that message. We live in a world where people don't want to hear about Jesus. They don't want to hear that people are by nature sinful. They don't want to hear anything that the Bible says. So maybe we should just be quiet. Keep our faith to ourselves, not talk about it, 
Hope and pray that Jesus comes back in glory sooner than later. Well, the Apostle Paul lived in a world where there was a lot more persecution than you or I have experienced. And he was writing to people, the people of Corinth, who lived in a place that was just as sinful, if not even more sinful, than the place in which we live. His advice wasn't just keep your faith to yourself. His encouragement to the Christians and to us is, you know these things, right? That God was in Christ reconciling the whole world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And the Holy Spirit has brought you to believe these things so that the love of Christ compels you and enables you to look past people's outward appearance, to see everyone as a sinner, as someone who, for whom Jesus has lived and died. So guess what, Paul says? God has entrusted you with the message of reconciliation. He has given you a ministry of reconciliation. He is making his appeal through you to everyone, to the world. Through you, he wants to urge everyone, be reconciled to God in Christ. Solution to our problems of disunity, it's not the government, it's not who or who isn't in the White House, it's not diversity, it's not saving the planet or the whales or any other kind of political or social agenda. None of those things addresses the real problem. The real problem is sin. The real problem is that by nature everyone is an enemy of God. The real solution is God and what he has done for us in Christ. That in Christ he has reconciled everybody to himself. Only in Christ is there a new creation, is there a change of heart, a change of attitude with God and toward our neighbor. May the love of Christ for you and for your neighbor compel you. May the love of Christ for you and for your neighbor enable you to regard no one from a worldly, fleshly point of view. May the love of Christ for you and for your neighbor move you to serve as an ambassador of Christ, urgently pleading with everyone you meet, be reconciled to God in Christ. Amen. Please stand.